0: Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now, your
1: host, Dr. Joseph Wittering.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Joseph, and I'm really glad to be joined by Trudy again, who's like a regular now on the channel. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, what Peter Bregan used to call uh, medication spellbinding. But maybe it's like, you know, when he would use it, he'd talk about you'd be on the medication and you wouldn't realize that it might be making you worse, but, and we're going to take it a step further to talk about not just that part of it, but also kind of waking up from, um, you know, what oftentimes is like the, the meta, you know, the medicalization of your mental illness, you know, when you kind of almost get lulled into thinking that you have some permanent psychiatric condition where, you know, maybe the problems that you had were, you know, uh, contextual, environmental, you know, maladaptive, you know, traits that you had that weren't serving you in your life and such. And then, you know, things better addressed by means other than medication. And so before I forget, right at the start of this video, I'm going to say in the comments below, if you could just comment on like, what was the moment that made you wake up and change that trajectory? Because many people end up on the meds for a long time, like, like maybe a decade before they go, actually, you know what? This isn't helping me. So... In the comments below, I want to hear from you. What was the what was the one thing or the many things that that helped you kind of wake up to it? Um, okay, but and, and so moving on from that, you know, Trudy, turning it over to you. Um, you know, I posed this question to you last time we were talking, and then we were just like, oh my god, we should make this a video. And I know you've been kind of thinking about it, but I'll, I'll let you kind of dive in. Maybe just like walk us through your awakening and and how that sort of happened.
1: Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, You know, it's great to be back with you here today and having another conversation. I find these tremendous food for thought, and I hope that others find them as helpful and enlightening as I do. Um, So, yeah, my own awakening, that's, it's an interesting question, and I mentioned to you right before we went live that I've been mulling it over for weeks, uh, and I don't have a magic Instant moment. Um, I have. I guess you could call it a whole bunch of baby steps, where the things that I believed were true, reality kind of slapped me across the face and made me go, "Oh, maybe this isn't true." Um,
0: I'm thinking about maybe a better way to 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 do this, if I may interrupt. Maybe take us back to the beginning and tell us, like. How did you end up thinking that you had um, – you, did you have a bipolar diagnosis? Was that the one Yeah. what was that process like of having the problems and then getting the label and then kind of getting like caught up in this, oh, I have bipolar disorder and I'm, you know, I need these medications. That might be an interesting place to kind of start.
1: Yeah, it it actually is because I think you could fairly say – I almost created an identity for myself around that I have bipolar, I need these meds. um, I can't help this. This is just the way I am. Um, And I was a huge advocate for like, never miss a dose, always stay on your meds because you know, they teach you that bipolar patients historically go off and on. And that's just the nature of the illness because of denial and so I was like, no, that's, I'm not going to make the mistakes everybody else makes. I'm just going to be this perfect little patient. Um, and so that was kind of the story that I built for myself, thinking that if I just did what I was told, my life would go back to, you know, the quote unquote normal. And that would be at the end of the story. Like I'd just be someone living with bipolar and that would be it. Um, it was kind of a simplistic view and reality didn't pan out that way.
0: And when did you, like, how old were you when you first started taking medications? Like, when was that first interaction with uh, the psychiatric system?
1: Uh, so I was 19 when I was first referred to a psychiatrist. Um, I had been trialed on Prozac and uh, Deserol, uh, Trazodone, yeah. uh, when I was 17, and um, and that was just a through a pediatrician, uh, and the Prozac I reacted quite badly to, um, and so it. But it was kind of two years later um, when there was a lot of trauma stuff going on that that kind of shuffled me fully into the psychiatric system.
0: And when you, and I guess when you were seventeen, I know this is so long ago, and you first started taking Prozac, like how was it sold to you? Like, did they give you any greater context? Was it like? You know hey this is just something that's going to like get you through this and we're going to be doing therapy at the same time and like you're not going to be on this forever or was it like you have depression trudy like but don't worry we have this great medication that treats major depressive disorder do you remember how it was packaged oh or maybe i mean you're 17 for god's sakes maybe you just took it because you know you went to the pediatrician and they and they were just like and you're like well you do what the doctor says they know more like What do you recall about that first kind of introduction?
1: It was given to me as a, here's a solution for where you're struggling. Um, And so I just thought it was going to solve the things I was struggling with. Like I was dealing with some pretty heavy, um, you know, situational based issues, I guess you could say from trauma. And I believed like, oh, I'll take this pill. And everything will feel fine. I won't feel upset anymore. And I was in therapy um, at the time, like both individual therapy and group therapy, but it was really just uh, here's this drug. It's pretty new. We think it's going to fix everything. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like I I really didn't think critically about it because, you know, I came through school in the 80s and early 90s, which was kind of really when all of the SSRIs and everything were becoming more known and it was starting to become maybe not socially acceptable, but there was small groups where, you know, you could read in encyclopedias. I'm aging myself, but, you know, there was material that you could read about depression and about all these different things. And so i was very much of the belief of oh i must have a chemical imbalance and i'll just take this pill and everything will be better
0: and that that whole idea of like you know when like when you were 17 like how did you even conceptualize your problems was it like my life you know there's problems in my life it's stressful there's bad things happening like was that your understanding or was it like maybe kind of too up in the air to really know you just like i just feel terrible and i'm sad And then because I guess the reason I'm asking you this is because once you start taking a medication, I feel like implicitly it kind of shifts into a more of a chemical imbalance type of narrative. And so I wanted to know kind of how how you thought about your problems, you know, before the medications came into the scene.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I had some self-awareness that, there were certain times of the year that I had an easier time just coping with life. And then there were times of the year where it was really hard. Um, So I always kind of had a seasonal pattern when I was, you know, probably a teenager, like mid teens. So I was aware of that. um, But it never really interfered heavily with anything. It Mm -hmm. wasn't until I was really doing trauma work that it was just I'm not actually even sure if it was that it was too much for me versus it being too much for the people around me. Um, Because when I kind of look back in hindsight and I say, you know, well, was I okay? And I think I fundamentally was okay, but it's difficult, you know, for a lot of people, I think, but I know for the people that were around me, they struggled seeing my emotional suffering. So they, and then I wasn't able, I didn't have the skills to not show it, um, I guess. So I think I believed that there was, in hindsight, I think I believed I had more of a problem than what I truly did, rather than being like, you know, anybody who'd been through a situation like this is going to be dealing with a high intensity of emotions. And you know, maybe build a toolbox rather than throwing a prescription at them. But that was what I was given was take a pill.
0: It's interesting that the um I guess the perception of whether you you're having a problem it can sometimes be like contextual. It's like when it becomes a problem for the people around you as well. And and I know, you know, depending on the anxieties of your parents and things like that, like um sometimes you know yeah of course i mean not sometimes i mean it's clear you know seeing someone that you love in distress and is like you know having problems that maybe it's interfering with school and you know they're more reclusive and things like that that worries people and they go well you know i i you know i don't want my daughter to get left behind i don't want her to have problems so l- let me take her to the pediatrician i trust doctors i know they're the experts and they'll and they'll tell me what to do they'll t- they'll let me know how to help her you know and so that's like a common story that I hear, you know, where it's like it it gets started by the the loved ones. Yeah, I guess who who are, you know, maybe even more worried than the person suffering, you know, and 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 wanting to help.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it was the family I was living with was who got me into therapy. Um and I I did need therapy. Like there's no denying that. I was dealing with some pretty serious stuff, but I don't think, you know, like, it's interesting what hindsight does, right, Because especially because you've had time to grow and mature, and at 17, you just don't have that same distress tolerance that you do as an adult, right, like, little things seem huge, uh, and earth-shattering, and you don't have the same, I guess, context of the variations of just the landscape of emotions, if you will.
0: Yeah. Okay, so maybe at the start, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's okay, so the family that you're living with, you know, they're worried about you, and you go, well, if they're worried about me, this is, uh, I guess, clinically significant, or, or this goes beyond the bounds of what's normal, and now now I have this medication. It, I mean, is that the point that you start feeling like you have a chemical imbalance, or does it happen over time? What's that journey from kind of being there to, you know, you know, going forward?
1: So I think, um, and it kind of it kind of slays me a little bit to say this, but I think I wanted to be told that I had a chemical imbalance. Like, I think I wanted, I, I viewed it as an easy explanation and I very much wanted an easy explanation, like something that just made everything make sense and I could just do one thing and it would be all better. Um, and I think it, you know, I think it gave me that in the beginning was, you know, here's this label, here's this pill and, you know, maybe there's nothing that, you know, you need to work on so much, like maybe it's just, all take this pill. Um, and I, I think I really, I wanted it to be that easy, um, when I was that age. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so, so Moving forward from there, because I imagine, I mean, I imagine you stay in that state for quite some time. I mean, you, it's, it's sort of in your late teens. When, so when did, when did the awakening start?
1: Uh, that would probably have happened after my last hospitalization, I would say is probably kind of the the initial where it was like, okay, going back into hospital isn't going to solve anything and adding more medication, isn't going to solve anything. Uh, and that would have been, I feel like 2001. Um, so how
0: old are you at that stage? 20, and
1: 76, so 25.
0: 25. Okay. So there's like a good, like eight years or something, you know, kind of in there. And then, so you're 25 and and just to to recap me and and maybe also the audience is, so it sounds like you had um you had repeat hospitalizations and just more and more meds getting added that not really working and then and then there's this this moment you know when you when you just go they're not going to help me you know and
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I spent, there was a period of about five years. my first hospitalization was in September of 2019, uh, not 2019, I was 19. Uh, So what year was that? 90, I didn't think about this ahead of time. Um, I graduated in 94, so 95, 96. I think it was September 96 uh, was when my first hospitalization was. And I was in for six weeks, got came out on, like, everything you can imagine. Um, and then I think I was out for two to four weeks, and then I was back in right away again. Um, and it kind of started this revolving door of where I'd go in, and I'd feel better by the time I was getting out, and I'd get discharged, and then you know, depending on the time period, it would be weeks to months before I'd be back in hospital again. And I, you know, I added it up once. And over the course of the five years, I spent over two years as an inpatient, if you add up all of the separate hospitalizations. Um, And it was, you know, that was kind of the landscape was I had just gotten out of hospital and I'd had, I want to say a six week hospitalization. And then I had, the previous hospitalization before that had been three months or something like that. And I'd only been out for maybe four weeks in between them. And I think I'd been home again for maybe a week or two when I was feeling suicidal again. And I got mad. Uh, Like I legitimately felt mad because I felt like, you know, clearly this revolving door of hospitalization isn't doing anything clearly meds, isn't doing anything. So what's the answer? Um, And that was the moment where, you know, I made some pretty fundamental changes um, in terms of like, I got off of benzos and the sleeping pills and the antipsychotics at that point um, and started exercising, like just going for daily walks and That was the last, like, I was never back in hospital after that. Um, So it was a fundamental shift in kind of how I viewed, um, I guess, the diagnosis. Um, I no longer believed the hospital or my doctor had the answer, but I still believed that there was something wrong with me, (laughs) if that makes sense. So it was like I got rid of all the extra things and I just kept the bare bones of what I believed I needed. And then just kind of carried on that way for a whole bunch more years uh, until like 2017.
0: Um, And so that time were you just on, because I know you were on Lamictal at that time, but what was the, remind me again, what was the other medication that you were tapering with Lamictal?
1: uh, So Buspar, I tapered at the same time as Lamictal and I had been on Stratera as well. Okay. Um, and I guess you know the last prescription I think I had for a benzo was in 2009 so the doctor that I had was still sometimes giving me PRN stuff um, but by the time I left her the next doctor didn't give me anything new uh, like it was just never even suggested uh, so you
0: so you were in this like cycle of spending like a lot of time in the psychiatric hospital, and then you stop antipsychotics and benzodiazepines, and you never go back. Yeah. So, I mean, do do you think those those medications? There was something about those that were particularly destabilizing to your mood, and they were maybe making you more suicidal. I mean, is that why, like, the, like, like, how yeah, do you understand, like, going, like, like, why you'd feel better after three months, and then a couple, like, a couple months or something later, you, you, you're you back in, like, it just, like, that yeah, instability. Yeah,
1: that's a super interesting question, because, and this kind of ties right into our conversation, like, I never thought to blame the medication, but could the medication have been contributing to it? Absolutely, like, but that is not part of the story I've told myself. So it's, that's a very interesting thought because the story I've told myself is that I just developed better coping skills. And once I made that decision that the hospital didn't have the answer, and I just took it away as an option, that I moved through life differently. But there was a whole bunch of other changes at the same time. Like, there was the loss of a whole bunch of medications. So it absolutely could have been connected to that. And I just never thought of it.
0: I mean, I I don't want to diminish how powerful it is when you, you know, they call it like the locus of control, right? You know, up until that point, it's like the hospital has the answer. You know, the experts have the answer. The doctors have the answer. And then bringing that inside, how empowering that could be. I mean, so I'm sure that played a big role in it also. Um, uh, but okay. So, so you, so you, you, you're mostly on Stratera uh, and Stratera for those, for those remaining years and, and and you're out of the hospital. What, what, and, and you're like, but there's still something wrong with me. And so I, and I guess that's the rationalization to keep on taking those medications. Yeah. 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 What, what, what was the next shift that, that got you to the point where you were just like I'm, I'm coming off everything
1: um well the next shift would have been i knew that i guess it probably would have been a generic substitute of one of the meds that i was on and like for the bus par i only one generic brand worked for me going on to any of the other generics it was like i was just stopped And so the brand I'd been on had a shortage. The pharmacy swapped me to a different brand. I didn't think anything of it. And then three days later, I felt like I was losing my mind. And I'm like massively panicked of like, how can I cope with life, with how I'm feeling right now, managed to find the right generic brand at a different pharmacy and everything went back to normal. And that scared me um, because I didn't want... A medication to have that kind of power over me. Like when you're going through your life and you feel like, you know, everything is pretty, pretty good. And then you discover that just a change in brand can feel like the rug is being pulled out from under you. It, it's a really, it, it's a feeling of powerlessness, you know, like you feel subject to things that are completely beyond your control. And so I, you know, that was kind of, it planted a seed, I guess you could say, of if there's ever an opportunity to get off of this, I want to. Um, And then I had the cold turkey stop of the Stratera that put me into horrible withdrawal and didn't have the option to go back on to anything else. And that was the point where I kind of started looking for other options, other solutions, like, okay, what's going on? What can I do differently? And I knew, uh, I knew that more meds weren't an option. Like I was not willing to go back onto the roller coaster of trying different meds. I just inherently knew that the most unstable time of my life was the time when I'd be on a medication and things would get worse. And so they'd rip me off the medication and put me on something else. And like, I didn't want to go back to that kind of circle you know like this continuous cycle I just wasn't willing to go back
0: did you have like a moment where you stumbled upon like I don't know Robert Whittaker or like Peter Bregan or something like that or was all of this like just welling up from inside of you just like this isn't working because I know some people it comes across their lap and they're just like oh my god you know looking back at everything, I think, you know, the medications were a part of it. I mean, did you have the Robert Whitaker moment, you know, or anything like that? So
1: I kind of did. um, When I was in withdrawal, I found a program online that was someone who was, you know, change your diet, change your life sort of thing. Um, And that was like, oh, like, that's a thing like it, it kind of put ideas into my head. And then as I kind of I guess went looked a little further into it. I read Robert Whitaker's book, Anatomy of an Epidemic. Was and... this when
0: you were just on Strattera, Buspar, and um, Lamotrigine, or was this like I was kind of before... off the
1: Strattera? Okay. Um, and I was still on the Lamictal and Buspar, so it was okay. before I started getting off of the Lamictal and Buspar. But I was at that point, I was, you know, coming off Strattera was such a profound experience. Um one of the things I described was it was like I'd been living life with a gauzy curtain in front of me, and I had no idea. Like, it was like, I I didn't have the same sense of the world of the people around me. Like, I just, if you can imagine literally just having something put in front of you and you're living life and you think that's the real world, and then that curtain disappears and you're like, holy cow, (laughs) like, this is, incredible. And I had no idea that I had lost this. And that moment was a very powerful moment um, for me, because it made me go like, I don't want to have a veil between myself and the world. I want to feel it. I want to connect with it. I want to interact with it. And so, you know, I, I really enjoyed Robert Whitaker's book, reading about it. Like I, It changed my beliefs fundamentally because prior to that book, I thought that it was settled science, which sounds funny to say, but I thought that the serotonin theory of depression was factual, proven, that it was like indisputable. I had no idea that it was really still a theory and there was evidence to call the whole thing into question. Um, So that really... I think turned my world upside down in a good way because I lost that belief of everything is just a chemical imbalance and you just have to match up the right pill for the right imbalance. Um, I realized at that point it was like I'd been kind of sold snake oil was kind of the feeling that I had.
0: So so how did you understand, I guess, your problems after coming out the other side of that that book. I mean, so it takes this idea that you have and just tears it to shreds. And then, like, what do what do you do with that? You know, when you've been essentially taking medications for supposedly like a, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you tell me. Like, what? Like, were you just like, there's still something wrong with me? It's just not a chemical imbalance, or, or like, like where were you uh, after that?
1: I think I felt like you know, okay, so clearly it can't be a chemical imbalance. There's too much evidence to the contrary. Um, And that was, I think, when I started looking at it through the context of, you know, coping skills and um, maturity, like, you know, my own personal maturity. I'm not saying anything about where anyone else is, but I was, you know, when I started down the medication path, I was not mature. I was very emotionally immature. Uh, And I had a lot of things. um, I I was naive. uh, And I, I wasn't the same person that I am now. And I so I think I look at it in a lot of ways as it could have been any belief, it could have been a cult, Uh, It could have been anything that captured me and made me think, like, this is the answer to all of my problems. And if I do something different, everything is going to get better. Um, It just happened to be that it was psych meds that was where I got caught.
0: Yeah. And so, so I'll say it again. How did you, I mean, how did you understand, like, so, 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 so going back, like at that point where you just like, maybe I don't have bipolar disorder, maybe I, you know, I was someone struggling with emotional immaturity, like looking back on it. And I was just, I still yeah. had a lot of developing of coping skills. Was that kind of where you landed at that point?
1: I, I'm not sure if it was exactly that point or if it was after I had read, because Dr. Bregan has a book, um, Peter Bregan about coming discontinuing psychiatric medication. I don't remember the exact title of the book.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: But after I'd read that book, um, and I I believe it was his book where he spells out like four main paths that people who are poly-drugged follow. And when I saw myself in one of the paths that he'd spelled out, I was like, holy crap. (laughs) Like how many of my problems were not me, but were caused by the medications that I was put on. And that was when I really started to kind of consider that perhaps a bulk of my symptoms weren't me, but were actually the drugs. Um, and I, I do think in hindsight that I coped less well because I was medicated. Um, like I know my brain didn't develop normally when i was in my young teen or young adulthood when you would normally be developing executive functioning and all of those things like i developed that after it came off of lamictal uh, and so i know that the medications froze my brain for lack of a better way to put it and i didn't start to develop these extra things until after the medications were cleared out
0: yeah um well that's I mean that kind of goes on to like another another thread that's interesting I mean you know we don't I mean in the community we might we might talk more about this but it's not anything that was ever brought up in any of my psychiatric training or any of anything that I read in main mainstream textbooks but it's the idea that psychiatric medications may actually hinder the kind of the the emotional growth of, of, of a person or you know the i guess also the cognitive growth as well um really the only way they're described as oh these things can facilitate you know better therapy by like maybe you know making you more open to it or you know less anxious that you can access some realizations that's that's the main way they're kind of described as like facilitating healing in people, but really what you're talking about and really what I think about deeply these days is how being in a state of, um, I guess, diminished, um, I don't know whether it's attunement or, um, you know, receptiveness to sensory material, you know, like, relational stuff that's coming in and how you respond to people and the world around you and stuff like that, about, about how significant that is. I mean, I've got my own thoughts about it, but I I, want to like, what are your reflections on that, on, you know, what, what being on medications, like, I guess, maybe during that period of that of your time, what it does in terms of the, uh, I guess the emotional and cognitive development of someone.
1: I think it is, paralyzing, um, like fundamentally more paralyzing than is really talked about. And I say that in part because when I was tapering Lamictal, I went through a period where it was like I was thinking way more. It was like, I don't know, maybe my brain was waking up. I don't know. Um, And I was terrified that I was not going to keep the ability to think about what was going on around me, like, um, I guess it's been long enough now that I can say that at this point, I do take for granted the ability to, you know, listen to a question someone's asked and kind of reflect on it, and then give an answer. But when I was medicated, I didn't have that ability. Uh, Like that reflection piece, I was largely incapable of in the same way now I would have thought that I was 100% I would have thought that I was but one of the things that I realized while I was tapering was the frequency that I was missing important conversational cues so my oldest daughter was still at home at the time and she preferred to like have mother daughter talks later in the evening. And I'd frequently be gaming at the time when she was initiating conversations. So I would miss the cue of this is important to her. She's not just saying, oh, yeah, I did such and such today. And it's, you know, fluffy talk that she's actually coming to me with a situation that's important. And she wants my input. And I was completely missing those cues, like just not picking them up whatsoever. And then as I was tapering, I suddenly started picking them up
0: and it was this
1: and it was this almost horrifying realization that I'd been going through life believing that I'd been paying attention to the people around me and interacting with them fully but had not been able to pick up on the cues that we all give in our day-to-day conversations and I think that was, you know, one that that's one moment that sticks out in my head of like, how numbing was the medication while well, it was so numbing that I couldn't tell the difference between. Yeah, I went to school and the bus was five minutes late versus my friend is dealing with this really serious problem and should I call the distress line um, like obviously those are two drastically different buckets. Uh, in terms of the level of attention that one would give, and I just I couldn't differentiate.
0: And um, can you tell? You know, I I'm um I, sorry I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to ask some background because I don't know. Are you married? Yeah. Okay. And when did you meet? When When did you and your husband get together? How old were you?
1: Young. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we actually met um on a bbs when i was 14 so that's like before the internet um bbs stands for bulletin board service and you literally had a modem that you punched in a phone number on your computer and it dialed another computer and you basically accessed that other computer's hard drive and then you'd hang up and someone else would dial the same number and they would access the computer's hard drive and you could leave messages that way. Uh, And that was how I met my husband, um, just as friends. Like I was having troubles at home and he, you know, gave me support and we were just friends for years and then we decided to be college roommates. Um, And I'd read that, you know, males and females made better college roommates and so we moved in together completely platonic when we moved in together and then we fell in love and we got married in the june after that so i was 18 when we got married which like was before all the psych med stuff
0: can you tell me what how do you see like what was what was the relationship like when you were on the medications to when you came off because you talked about this like I guess, attunement to your daughter. Obviously, that's an extremely strong relationship, the maternal one like that. But the other main relationship is the one, you know, with your spouse. Um, you know, when you look back on on your kind of awakening and before and after in your relationship, what did you notice changed?
1: It's a really hard um, question because my husband is still on Um, some medication he's on antidepressants um, and he's in the process of tapering them at the moment Um, but I think you know the simplistic answer is that I craved a deeper connection like a a true yeah Yeah. Um, and the things that I previously didn't care about um, you know like if he was on the computer all the time, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Those things are, they seem barriers to me now, whereas they didn't before. And it's a very, it's an exercise in patience, um, because I know how disconnected I was. Um, And so I see some of that disconnect in him. Um, if that makes sense. So I think it complicates things a little bit because he's on medication still.
0: That's interesting that it, it, it almost added a complication to your relationship for you to wake up. So it's like improved your relationship with your daughter and your children, I suspect. Um, was it, and I mean, a lot of people are going to find themselves in this position as well, because it's not uncommon that both spouses are medicated. Um, and going through similar things. That's a very common situation. How did he respond to your awakening and to you reading Anatomy of an Epidemic and Peter Bregan stuff and kind of going through that journey when he was on medications? What what was that like?
1: So my husband is a really laid back guy uh, and things just really don't ruffle his feathers. Um, And he's used to me being hyper-informed on topics would maybe be a (laughs) kind way to put it. It's just Um, like, uh,
0: Trudy's just on one of her, you know, one of her things again. Yeah,
1: yeah, like, oh, she's found something new to read about. And, you know, it's somewhat interesting, but don't know if it applies to me. Um, And I think he also, you know, he watched what I went through with withdrawal. Um, And so once I was kind of through all of my own stuff, You know, we've had some conversations and he has a lot of fear um, around the withdrawal process because he's seen what I went through. Um, And so he's not sure if he can make it through the same kind of process that what I went through. Um, And so he's only recently actually made his first decrease. Um, And it was I wasn't even sure if he was going to. Um, honestly, because I said to him, like, if this is something you want to do, I'll support you, but you need to do some research for yourself. You need to decide this is right for yourself. Like, I don't want this to be something you do because you think it's what I want you to do. Like, this needs to be for yourself.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, (sighs) I guess... I mean, I'm stumped. I thought I had a question, but I don't.
1: (laughs) It's, it's interesting. I think, you know, when you've got the, like, for me, I see a lot of my own old avoidant behaviors, um, like when I was really checked out. Um, And I, so I see some of those things. um, And it's hard to see someone else kind of struggling with things that you realize was was something that you did and caused difficulties for other people around you when you were doing it. Um, if that makes sense.
0: No, that totally makes sense to me. I mean, it's. I mean that I, that that realization you had with your daughter must have felt like a dagger to the heart you know, cause like how long was yeah. that going on for? I mean, I cannot imagine like the, you know, having the realization yeah. and the pain, you know, with something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was, you know, what conversations have I missed? You know, what conversations have I not been fully present for because I didn't realize I needed to be present. Um, and, you know, there was a period in my taper where I really questioned like, Is me dealing with withdrawal having a negative effect on my kids? Is it impacting my ability to be a loving mom and to be present and do the things that I want to do for them? And I had a friend, you know, at the time who said, sometimes you need to do things for yourself in order to better take care of others. And my kids now, I can say quite confidently, they've benefited Um, in the end, in spades, because I do things now that I never would have done before, you know, my son and I go out into the mountains, and we do backpacking trips. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm in summer band with my middle daughter right now. Uh, And like, we're playing flute together. And, you know, those are things I wouldn't have done before, you know, one, I wouldn't have wanted to step outside my comfort zone. And I wouldn't have, you know, in the case of the band, like the band was hugely outside my comfort zone because I hadn't played since high school. Um, And so I had this huge fear of being like the weakest link. Uh, But, you know, she really wanted to do it together. And so I realized that, you know, that her wanting to do this together was more meaningful than me possibly being the weakest link that I needed to push myself and show you know that sometimes it's good to take risks and to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and you know give her uh give her this time and this thing that's important to her and that's not something I would have been able to do before
0: and you know and a question just dawned on me so you I mean, you, you were clearly having some problems, you know, when you were 17 and, you know, things were bad and the family you were living with was worried about you. And then, um, were those same problems waiting for you, uh, you know, when you came off or were those things that you had kind of managed to work through, you know, despite being on the medications, you know, kind of achieved that level of coping and emotional maturity and such like, what was that, what was that like?
1: I honestly feel like I didn't process a damn thing while I was on meds. Okay. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I still have, so it's a little bit different in Canada because psychiatrists can also do therapy um, in Canada. And we can, we can do it
0: in the U S as well, but no one, no one thinks that's the case, <laughs> you know, which is, which is a terrible sign. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, well, so like, I still have a psychiatrist that I see. And, you know, we're dealing with PTSD issues, and without medication, obviously. And mm-hmm. I feel now um, that I'm actually able to process and able to look at things in a way that is productive. Um, and. I don't feel like any of the stuff, um, in the, you know, hundreds of appointments that I had while I was medicated. I, none of it has done a darn thing. Um, like it was kind of all just there waiting. Um, and like I did mature, I did grow up and gain life experience and, you know, learn that I could handle tough things without falling apart. But That's even something that, you know, I work on in therapy is the fear around feeling intense feelings um, and learning to trust myself that I can handle these feelings and they're not going to make me fall apart. Um, And I, it's very, it's funny because it's something like that's really intensely personal to share. And yet I'm also a believer that it's so important to model that everybody has struggles, like even when you've got these, these areas of your life that are positive and feel like they're all exactly where you want them to be, or they're going the direction you want them to be, that there can still be other areas that you need to work on. And that doesn't have to be life destroying. It can be constructive and productive and, um, Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. And, and it, and it's kind of everyone, I mean, I can't believe I didn't think of the, um, you know, the corollary cause I actually have a similar story. It's going to seem kind of weak, but it was actually incredibly impactful on in my life was I put out a video not so long ago about my experience, uh, using caffeine and nicotine. And I was a very, I mean, really strong cup of black coffee in the morning, soda at midday and probably like you know, five or six pouches of, um, chewing tobacco a day. And that was kind of where I found myself at a certain point. And, um, I had gotten to this point where at 4 PM, 5 PM, I was just so tired. And I just, I was just like, man, I am exhausted. And I had gotten in this pattern because you know, I'd come out of residency and then I'd gone to the FDA and the FDA is not a clinical job. It's a, it's a research job. So I was learning a new thing from scratch, you know, clinical trial research. And then I'd also, oh, sorry, before the FDA, I was in the pharmaceutical company. So I was doing all of these new things and I just felt like I needed to be on. And, you know, my daughter had just been born, you know, we were moving a lot. It was, there was like a lot going on. So I just kind of crept into this like heavy stimulant usage. And, um, Then I, um, I, you know, I was going through a lot of early marriage stuff, you know, you know, as well, you know, we'd gotten married, I think just before I left residency and we were kind of working out the kinks, you know, each other's families and kind of the roles we were going to, they were going to have in our lives and things like that. And like most marriages, I mean, there were, you know, there were fights in there and there were, you know, pretty tense fights as well, you know, in terms of figuring out like how, you know our lives and the relationships with our families and such. And so anyway, about a year ago, probably I stopped drinking, um, caffeine and, and I stopped the chewing tobacco and I I had just done it because I was really fatigued and I'd read something about adrenal fatigue and how these stimulants might, um, cause adrenal burnout and you'd be fatigued. And I go, oh, that makes enough sense for me. I'm just going to stop. I cold turkey myself and was essentially just like a potato for, you know, probably like three weeks, you know, (laughs) couldn't do anything, pretended to be a person at work, just watched like Netflix, just checked out of life completely. And, um, I had this kind of awakening afterwards where I started to have a lot more natural energy. You know, I could... You know, it wasn't like a, this period of like intensity in the morning, you know, where it was just like I drink my coffee and I would just be on for like four hours and could do it. And then I would try and keep that going with the sort of the nicotine and the sodas and things like that. And so that went away and I had much more stability. And I go, this is just wonderful. You know, I, also my sleep improved dramatically. I used to have a really hard time getting back to sleep in the middle of the night. And I'm just like, and that's how I thought about it. But it wasn't until about five or six months down the road that I realized that I was actually a lot more patient with my wife. And I, and previously to that, I had been, you know, I had had like a pretty short fuse. And if she was upset about something, I think I would become very defensive and shut down and we would get in an argument or something like that. And all of a sudden I realized that I was actually able to listen to her and hear her without you know, being like, oh, this is how I feel, how I feel. And I looked back at all of these fights that we had had, you know, at the start of our marriage, you know, figuring things out. And it was just like, in a lot of these cases, it was really, it was really me, you know, not being able to actually like uh, hear her and, and kind of having this short fuse. And I cannot tell you how much of a positive impact coming off even something as benign as caffeine and nicotine has had on just being more even keeled, um, and, you know, better able to, you know, listen to, you know, uh, you know, listen to my wife and work through, you know, difficult things, which we, we still do. And, um, just mind blowing because you think it's benign, you know, you think it's a benign substance and, and all of that stuff. And, I had another video where I talked about like, I mean, my sleep was so bad at some points I was even taking Xanax as well, you know, PRN and things like that. It was, and you know, if I would travel for work because of the caffeine and all of that, like I would never sleep and I'd I'd have to take Xanax on those days as well. And it was just like, like I sleep like a baby now. I mean, it's, it's just crazy um, how big of an impact something like that could have. So um it's hard to realize, and, it, and yeah, and that was the other thing. It, was, it took me a really long time to actually realize how global the the effect was on all these different areas, not just energy levels and sleep, but the way I, you know. And there was also this this time, like at the end of the day, I would, I used to dread having to read to my daughter. You know, I'd, I'd sit in her room and I'd be so shot from all of the caffeine and the nicotine, and I'd be coming down and crashing it just felt like this chore and then you know that completely like changed I didn't have this like an in- intensity and all of this like kind of rushed feeling within me and I just like sit down and, and read like a you know a stupid kids book but it's still like fun and and like and fine but it was I mean sometimes I still don't like doing it but it's like a lot easier than it used to be but, but <laughs> it's very interesting yeah.
1: it is yeah. and I know like i stopped drinking coffee as a i mean i similar thing i'd read that you know for some people it just doesn't agree and it was like the anxiety that i constantly had it was like it just yeah. it disappeared my and my energy went up too yeah
0: my wife stopped drinking coffee and nothing happened and she thought it; she just felt like gypped, you know, <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't affect her, you know, it's not like this panacea, but I do think for some people, it can have a pretty big impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. There's no way to know what is going to impact yeah. someone and what isn't.
0: I will say, I think she actually, cause we used, and I mean, this was the other thing. I mean, there was a point where I probably had two to three drinks a night completely disappeared, no more like cravings. And, and I, I know, I think I noticed the same thing with her as well, you know, where we used to drink wine in the evenings, just gone, you know, there's not that there, there was no longer that I need something to kind of soothe the crash. And so that was something I think she did experience.
1: It's interesting. Cause it, you know, the question that just raised for me is, you know, cause we have these, you know, so-called benign substances but you know call them socially acceptable things like coffee and alcohol and various things and on the extremes we know that people are self-medicating with them but you know it, it makes the question it raises for me is is it a much larger group of individuals who are self-medicating uh, in one way or another and do does one lead to another? Like, if you are a wine drinker, are you more like, and I'm just picking on wine, you know, because it's the example you gave, but if you're a wine drinker, are you more likely to need a morning coffee? And if you're having a morning coffee, are you more likely to want something to wind down at night? I have no idea, but it's an interesting question.
0: Oh, yeah. And I bet, you know, for, for me, it was wine just because, um, you know, cannabis never agreed with me. But I know for a lot of people, that's really common, you know, if, if, if you're a heavy, you know, stimulant user that, you know, smoke a joint in the evening, that's that's going to be the only time of relief. And then if yeah, you do wake up with a little bit of like a weed hangover in the morning and then that kind of drives that next cycle. Um, huh. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, something that I also think about a lot is, uh, you know, young people in relationships because the... I'm not gonna say this is the most important thing, but it is a really important thing for a lot of like young people. It's like connection with others, whether it's friends or whether it's with a romantic partner. And a lot of the times, you know, your, you know, patients of mine, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, sometimes the reason they're on the medications is they're lonely, you know, they, 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 they struggle to find someone a, a romantic connection or to have this kind of friend circle. And then we take these people and we put them on medications, which blunt their emotional processing. And, you know, as I've gone through life and kind of looked at myself and my own problems and things like that, and own own struggles and relationships and and things like that, I can really confidently say that you need to feel things um, in order to get better in relationships. And you need to kind of have that attunement there to, to have those, you know, for those, for those problems to come up and to, to feel it and to feel the pain. And, and, and it's, it's also good if your spouse can kind of feel the pain, you know, emotional pain as well, and bring them up because they're all signs that mean something. And I mean, oftentimes to get a relationship like going, then you really, for a lot of them, you need to have pretty high emotional attunement because you're, you are you and you have your perspective on the world and the way you were raised and your beliefs and everything, but your spouse is not you, you know, they're very different. And, and we have this tendency to think that other people are are like us, but that's not, that's so not true. And and so the, I f- I've always found relationships to be this constant process of like, what do you think about this? Like, what, like, what does this mean to you? What's important to you? Like, why does this upset you? Why does this not upset you? And, and um, I feel like, you lose that with um, with with medication sometimes when they when they knock that part out of it and then that and then you don't you can really struggle to build that uh, that skill set that really does take a, a, a while to to be able to have a relationship you know and, and a good one um, one that's not you know the one that one that's stable and mutually enjoyable and 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 so yeah I, I worry that we're doing a lot of young people a disservice um, by just whacking them on the medications and I wonder about the long-term effects it has on their ability to, to find these, these stable, enjoyable relationships long-term.
1: I suspect it has much bigger of an effect than anybody is willing to admit. Um, because I, I, I think if my husband and I, Hadn't known each other without the layer of medication, I don't know that we would have connected in the same way. Like, I, it's, it's, I, you know how everybody has like key memories, like things like when your kids are born and that sort of thing, right? And for a long period of time, I had the memory of one of my kids being born and how I had stared at her with wonder. And I tried to memorize like every little pore on her nose and like exactly what her face looked like. Like I wanted to input that memory into my head forever. Uh, And I, in my memory can remember that I felt filled with so much love in that moment. And yet there was a period of years where like, I had this memory and I knew how connected I had felt in that moment but it was a memory versus a current feeling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was just completely severed from it. Um, And it's taken a long time to like feel. um, And I guess it's important to kind of differentiate that you can be connected to someone without that live, almost tangible feeling of connection. Um, But it's a lot easier to be connected when you, feel the connection. Um, and it's. it took a long time before I was able to feel it again. Um, and I've got all sorts of random, I can't remember if I've told you this before, but I've got like factual memories. And then the factual memories will come up and it's like the emotion never took place. And so this old factual memory will come up. And now all of the emotions will just burst out, like I'll burst into tears. Um, and it's the first few times it happened, it was kind of a little bit distressing. And then afterwards I started to kind of understand that it's like, well, so I had this factual knowledge, but my, my feelings were so disconnected that the feelings didn't take place at the same time. And for a memory to be really authentic, it's both fact and feeling together in the moment. And I can, feel those feelings now. So when those memories come up, um, if I haven't had that moment of feeling, then it's like getting rolled over by a bulldozer. Uh, like it's just an instant flood through my body. Um, but you know, the, I, I guess the, the mercy of it is that you've had time. So it's not a factual surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I kind and I kind of understand it now. So when it happens, I'm able to tell myself like, oh, this is what this is. And, you know, I'll be okay in 15 minutes or half an hour or whatever.
0: Yeah. Wow. I'm um, just noticing, I've, uh, you know, we're, we've just crossed the one hour mark. So it might may, may be a good time to to wrap. Um, but um, was there any, anything else that you wanted to, to mention before we wrap for today?
1: I'm curious if you think that everybody is as numbed as what I've experienced it to be. Like, is this something you hear other people talk about?
0: Um, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I'm still of the opinion, you know, when, when one in 10 people in the United States are taking antidepressants, the majority of them being women, I like to think that hopefully a large proportion of those they've just developed like tolerance to the medication and it's really not having that much of an effect. And they you know, their brain is just like used to it and they're just kind of like trucking along and they're still hopefully fairly attuned and all of those things. And it's just sitting there in the background. I mean, I don't really know, honestly. I mean, it's, but I, I mean, I do think there's probably a lot of people who are like that, especially once you start getting to, you know, you know, several medications at the same time, I think it's just going to, it's, there's going to be a sufficient amount of like, you know, just modulation going on that, that it would be pretty numb. But I don't know, it's hard. I mean, you really have to kind of, you know, what were you, talk to someone who knows the person, what were they like before? What are they like now? And just kind of see, you know, are they pretty much themselves? Have they changed in any way? But yeah, so I don't know. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, the, the thing that I realized um, when you were answering was that the impossible to know side is that you don't truly know until the person is off and outside of the worst of the withdrawal. Um, because I know that, you know, if you'd asked me a decade ago, if I was numb and kind of disconnected. I would have said nope.
0: No, yeah.
1: You know. And it's not something anyone around me had ever pointed out to me.
0: Oh, if you asked me who was at fault when I was arguing with my wife, you know, when I was on all the stimulants, I'd say oh, she is she's so unreasonable, <laughs> you know, like I would have <laughs> just blamed it on her, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's like that that self awareness just in the moment it's not there. And I, I think that's the challenge, you know, when I think about the waking up. Process, you know, how do you, how does someone lose that medication spell binding or whatever you want to call it? Um, I, I think that's the challenge, right? Because if you can't see the way it's affecting you, how do you make that decision to change it?
0: Sometimes it's it's got to be something big because people won't realize the subtle things, but when they have a catastrophic adverse reaction or like you did, you know, you spent like three months in a hospital and four weeks four, four weeks later you're back in again and you're just like, what is this? Like it has to be something so big for some people that it just like blasts through. Like even with the degree of, 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 of blunting, it's just like there's no, yeah, it's just bad. You know, there's no other way to look at this other than it's bad. I know for some people, and this is really sad because, you know, it can be, they develop protracted withdrawal and they're just debilitated. You know, for some people it's PSSD, you know, and it's just something that's so bad that it totally shatters, you know, um, you know, whatever whatever it is. And then then they start looking for answers. But yeah, there's, I mean, I wish there was a way that it didn't have to be this dramatic kind of rock bottom catastrophe that gets, that shocks people into looking for it.
1: Yeah, yeah I have it's something I kind of, you know, admittedly struggle with a little bit in my day to day life when someone I know is like, oh, yeah, I just got X diagnosis and I'm starting on, you know, whatever um, psych medication. And it's like, you know, I I fundamentally believe in the right to self-determination and. You know, it's their path, um, you know, my job isn't to walk someone else's path for them but it's so difficult when you see the person that is you know (laughs) there's even been cases where you know I've made a comment like you know just be cautious because if you ever decide that you want to come off of it don't do it too quickly and in some cases you know you get jumped down of like oh don't scare people about withdrawal because then people who need treatment aren't going to get treatment they'll be too afraid to start and in my head I'm like
0: yeah, no, I, I feel like slapping that person in the face because I used to hear a lot of the same things and it's, it's this whole thing of like, okay, so you're not allowed to say something to caution them about the medication, but then they're not making like an informed decision, you know, because let's say you say something scary about the drug. Oh, hey, did you know that the risk of suicide was higher in people who are under age 25? Oh, no, 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 don't say that. You know, that's going to scare them away from taking the drug um it should you know because right it should weigh like if it's true it should weigh on the decision for someone to take it and th- and they have to weigh it in their own minds with the risks and the benefits in their own individual situation and that's and that's the thing so whenever they you know they cuz it's like this this threat you know you're going to be dangerous and they're going to get hurt because of you and it's like well get hurt if I don't say this. And and, and yeah, anyway. That's uh, yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that yeah. just kind of bothers me a lot as, as well.
1: Yeah, and it's so hard um, you know, I I was saying to my mom um just this last week how I've been watching a lot of women my age getting ADHD diagnoses lately and starting on ADHD meds and um, you know, in the process of my comments, I found out that a relative, um, actually a few relatives are on them and I was cautioned to be careful, um, where I made those statements and around who, um, but, and it's, I struggle isn't that, with isn't that the,
0: crazy though. It's just like it, w- we've been scared to a point where it's like, you don't say that, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you're going to say some dangerous thing that's going to, really either either upset someone or, you know, harm them in some way. It's.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, there was a time when I believed that the medications I was on was what was allowing me to live my life. Like I've had that belief and there's only one thing I can say to my past self. And it's that I was wrong. Mm -hmm. It, It was a completely incorrect Belief, because I have a better life now. Like I, you know, in terms of how I feel day to day and how I cope with different things that come my way. And, um, you know, for a period of time, I was on disability because I couldn't handle schedules. Like I simply having something on my calendar was too much. So I avoided making commitments because I just couldn't handle that. And now, you know, I'm a full-time student and I work full-time and I, like, I've got this big list of things and people, you know, look at it and they're like, how do you handle it? And I'm like, well, I just, you know, do this here and this here. And it doesn't like, you know, if you had told me 10 years ago (laughs) that I would do all of this, I would say, uh, no, you don't know me. There's no way I would ever be capable of doing that. Um, And I would have, you know, been completely wrong, but it's, it's fundamentally I, I feel like me now uh, and it, it actually feels really good to say that because the number of times that I would legitimately asked uh, my psychiatrist how do people who've had amnesia how do they cope? how do they you know adjust to their lives because I, I felt like I was waking up from amnesia. Um, and you know i never got a really concise answer to that but that's how profound this has been for me it's like coming out of a coma and here you are and here's this life and you know what do you do next
0: yeah you know the story about hearing about other people um on the medications i mean I mean, you know my story. I think I I, I told you, you know that that I'm, I was in a Verizon store the other day, and I was being served by the kindest, you know, young young gentleman. And then he saw that my business name was with, during psychiatric consulting, and then he went on to tell me he was on like five different medications, you know, antipsychotics, stimulants, downers, everything like that. And it's like, I'm also in the same place where I feel like I know so much, and I, you know, I knew enough to kn- to know that something really bad. Was happening, you know, like like okay. Sometimes you can be on a combination of drugs, and it's this careful balance, and it's really thought out. But the majority of time, when when you're taking antipsychotics and you're also on Adderall, like something is really wrong because you know you they're either oversedated, and now they're getting stimulants to get them up. And I was just thinking, like life must be hard for this guy, and it. It really like I mean I left the store with a pit in my stomach. You know I'm not going to say anything, or like, but I'm just. It's like watching a train wreck in slow motion, and it's just that feeling of like powerlessness. And I'm just like, this has a bad trajectory. And I'm just like, is he going to wake up? It, it like, like how many years will be lost? And and I see that just every day, and um, in different, not 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 like, but like in in, in a lot of my work, and then, you know I've seen it before, and it's it's just so deeply, um, I, I don't know. It hurts me. You know, I have to say, yeah. So,
1: yeah. And it's, you know, I think back and, you know, if I'm really candid, if I say, is there anything anybody could have said to change my mind before I was ready? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, I think that I had to discover it for myself. Um, and I didn't have anybody around me saying like, Hey, there's, you know, we think you should do this or any of that. Like it was, I, I didn't have any external output input. Um, but I believed so wholeheartedly that this was the diagnosis, this was the correct action, that anybody who would have challenged that, I would have either gotten mad or I would have shut them out of my life. I wouldn't have, the only person who could have challenged it, there's only one person, my psychiatrist was the only one who could have said, hey, because that was actually why I ended up never on SSRIs again, I had a doctor who said, I think these are making you cycle more rapidly. And so, you know, you should never take an SSRI again. And I did accept that. So I think had I had a doctor that had said, you know, you're really over medicated and I'm not sure that you even need anything. I probably would have been, I probably would have accepted that and been willing to try. But I think that's the only alternate path um, where I would have been willing to hear it because I I wouldn't have heard it from like my husband or my mom or a friend.
0: You know, and I think psychiatric medications, and I think th- this can happen with other meds, but especially with the psychiatric ones, the, I mean, the taking of them is so, I don't know, it's like this foundation in a house. You know, it, it's like it, like, it helps you make sense of the problems that you have and uh, and sometimes even shields them for it. It's like, it's it's not your fault. You know, the things that have happened, you know, you're addressing them, you're responsible, you're doing the right thing to address your problems. There's, there can be so much tied up in there, which makes it really, I mean, even more so difficult to to have those conversations with people because it's just... I don't know, it, it 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 can bring down the whole house. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, and I think there's so much, um, there's so much of society built around it at this point. Um, and it's interesting, um, you know, this is just a random tidbit of something I discovered about myself, um, you know, in the last, I guess, month and a half that I, I don't think badly of anybody else who's a psych patient, but I apparently have a whole lot of self-loathing towards myself about the idea of being seen that way. So I've kind of taken on some sort of, I don't know, whether it's a stereotype or I'm not sure what the right word is for it, but it's like I've rejected that label so completely that I almost feel like disgust for it, if that makes sense. Um, and so along with that has also come a fear of someone trying to push the label back onto me again. Um, and it's a very it, it's it's we it's kind of weird to me. Um I haven't completely wrapped my head around it. <laughs> but
0: I mean the Yeah yeah I mean that's an interesting thought. I mean the thought that popped up in my mind when you were saying that is the you know being, I guess being a psychiatric patient is obviously, you know, can, can clearly be synonymous with taking medications, you know, the label, the drugs are the solution. And so it's a disempowered position. Whereas kind of once you reject that, it's a, there's this more autonomy, there's more empowerment. The locus of control is for me. So at least from that perspective, I could see why you could have a really, really strong reaction to that feeling of powerlessness. that that you had then, almost a disgust reaction. I don't know if that's kind of some of the things rattling around there. That's what I imagine I might feel, but maybe it's more complex for you.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it because, you know, I had both good care and bad care when I was an inpatient. And, you know, you spend enough time as an inpatient and you're going to have negative experiences. Um, And I had some experiences that were very, disempowering uh, and very like they felt violating of my rights when they occurred. Uh, And so I think there's this, there's almost this internalization that when society views you as someone who's had any kind of psychiatric problem, that you lose a level of trust, almost like your opinion is more likely to be written off as, you know, craziness, or whatever kind of derogatory word you might put with it. Um, And I I think that's kind of the root of it is once you are like, I know I'm okay. (laughs) Like, I know I don't have anything wrong with me um, at this point, aside from, you know, dealing, working through the rest of the trauma pieces. Um, And so there's this huge fear of the power differential, you know, that you know, what if, uh, you know, and it's just, it's probably just honestly, partly more trauma. Um, that but it could be, be real, right? Through. Like,
0: what, what if you go to the hospital with a rare medical condition, and they see that you had a bipolar diagnosis in the past? What yes. happens then? You know, are they going to yeah. take me less seriously? Are they going to write me off? I mean, that seems yeah. real to me.
1: And I actually, and it hasn't, happened yet, but I've actually asked for my doctor to remove the bipolar from my medical record um and it's very tricky waters so um, like that's a really big request because it's almost like there's a fear of removing it, even though like he's verbally said that he thinks it was a misdiagnosis but there's also a there's also this like well it's only been a few years, so like who knows what'll happen in another few more years sort of feeling. Yeah.
0: Well, it's always interesting to talk to you. I, I, I do have to, I, I do I do have to stop this now. I'm going to go car- carry on. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop the recording, but just want to say once more, I love talking to you. I find your insights just great. And, um, and I'm sure I'm going to be talking to you again soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on and for the conversation. I always enjoy it as well. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also
1: post these to YouTube. Just go to WitDuring Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or
0: managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com.
1: Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.